There's definitely this after share. This is from Keith Michael again. Why the gay community will destroy the Christian church and why it needs to happen sooner than later. It's already happening. The Christian church is imploding on itself. Fewer and fewer people are filling its pews, at least in North America, and the leadership of the various Christian church denominations know it. They see the trends. It's literally scaring them, and they are powerless to stop it. They are powerless to stop it because it's happening by the hand of God. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I love that that's happening because the garbage has to be put in the dumpster. It's not even good enough to linger around as a junkyard. So, in order for the church to be built back better, you have to get rid of the bricks that weren't working, that weren't firm. And now you have to put in bricks that have a solid firmness to it. Oh, I love using that parable that I created on the spot. In all fairness, it's not really the gay community that's destroying the church. God is destroying the Christian church, but we are the catalyst, a very visible sign whom God is using to illustrate the church's errors, the church's arrogance, and the church's unloving sin. Oh, yes, yes. So the religious corporate America has to pass away so the Christ-like community can weather the storms that are raging. Ah! I I create parables on the fly again. Yes! Woo! Then it says Christian arrogance. Too many people within the church think that they are on the side of God simply because they are sitting in church. They think they are infallible. Although they emphasize the original sin doctrine. They think that they're, the Vatican and the Pope are infallible, inerrant people because they think of themselves as inerrant people too. They think that all the church fathers, all the prophets, all the Bible writers, all the Christian apologists, and all the people with all the religious honorifics and styles are all infallible and errant people. Again, they say that we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. <sighs> make that make sense. You can't. I can't either. No one can. Uh, whatever the church leadership dictates is somehow the will and word of God. Because the church leadership is God to them. Not Yahweh. Mm. They don't, if I say Yahweh, they don't even know who you're talking about. Wow. So, it, 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 it would be interesting if I, the title also said why the transgender community would destroy the Christian church and why it needs to happen sooner than later. That would be cool if that was true too. That would be cool if the gay community, the transgender community destroyed the church. It would be really cool because 
they they're gonna build it. They're gonna build the church back better. That's damn sure because heterosexual cisgender people are fucking up the church. <laughs> but we know that the gay and transgender community are not destroying the church. That's true. Um, then it says the Pharisees had the same problem: arrogance. These people in their blind hubris don't stop to think that just maybe it is God who is leading people away from the church's arrogance, their narcissism, their unlove for anyone who is not part of their quote-unquote clique of man-made tradition. So instead of real, so instead of realizing their errors, their own sin of treating people in a way they would not want to be treated. These churches arrogantly think that the only way to stop this decline in membership is to do more of what is causing people to leave. They are doubling down on stupid instead of seeing and correcting their own hate for gay people and transgendered people and their own embracing of pagan beliefs God never once told people to do or believe. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I am so thankful that I'm actually reading true prophetic preaching. This is how the church should be preached to the choir. Christians honestly don't quote unquote see that it is their blind adherence to a systemic lying man-made ancient outdated dogma that is the root cause of the holy spirit led exodus of their churches all i want to say is amen 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 glory hallelujah that's my response Jesus is not coming soon. <gasps> In their blindness, all they can see is what they have come to believe as rampant, quote unquote, sin in the world. And this culture means that Jesus is coming soon. And this is the reason for the decline of the truly faithful, since only the elect will be saved, all in quotations, even italics. It's just more self-delusion. Jesus coming soon is not why people are leaving the churches. People are leaving because the church has made itself into a mindless, irrelevant, self-serving, hateful organization. The church is not resonating with people. The church is not relatable to people because the church is spineless. Those are my six cents speaking unfortunately the people running the church are too blinded by their own dogma their own inherited pagan traditions to see that they're on the wrong side of the holy spirit a spirit of god that is moving leading people away from a 3,500 to 1,000 years old paganism that was never quote-unquote of god to begin with The Christian church is not what Jesus and the apostles founded. It's what Paul of Tarsus founded and was later amplified by Constantine. In fact, the the religion should more be called Paulianity than Christianity. (gasps) Yes, he basically took out his baseball bat and home run 
the traditionalists on that one. I like Keith. This fact has not been lost on many people throughout history, both Christian scholars and secular authors alike. Agreed. And secular scholars too. And Christian authors who actually tell the truth now. Them too. Um, Jesus never taught what the church of today teaches. In fact, historical Jesus would have been horrified of what the church now teaches in his name. Yes. Yes. In fact, It's amazing how the exodus is happening, which is a biblical book, too. So, a mass departure of people can be truly wonderful. And I'm so glad that I'm a part of that exodus. Because, um, now I'm using the dictionary. So people are, people are leaving the church because they're tired of the swindlers, cheaters, fraudsters, tricksters, confidence tricksters, deceivers, hoaxers, hoodwinkers. Double dealers, double crossers, shams, frauds, fakes, crooks, rogues, charlatans, quacks, montebanks, racketeers, con men, con women, con people, con artists, sharks, choke artists, bullshit artists, bullshitters, Ponzi schemers, sharpers, phonies, hustlers, flim flammers, flim flan. Men, flim flam women, flim flam people, twisters, grifters, bunko artists, gold bricks, chisellers, shicers, mags men, mags women, mags people, illy whackers, schlinters, confidence men, confidence women, confidence people, del, falcators, treasures too. In all in a nutshell, people leave the church because they're tired of people acting dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage, especially in a game or examination. People leave the church because they're tired of people avoiding what they should be confronted with by luck or skill. It says, no sooner had Jesus knocked over the dragon of superstition that Paul boldly set it on its legs again in the name of Jesus, according to George Bernard Shaw. That was a quote from George. Mm. So Jesus is turning the church in what it's supposed to be, according to Keith. And I just am smiling at the concept. Um... Because the church can no longer um, behave dishonestly in order to gain an advantage anymore. That's me off the top of my head. Then it says, blinded by its own dogma. While the church decries that being gay and trans are sins, 
and there's no scientific evidence for gayness and transgenderism to be sins, by the way. The real quote-unquote sins in the world is actually within the church itself. The sins is the church's own hatred for others who are not like them. Jesus once told the Pharisees to remove the log from their own eyes before attempting to remove the speck from their brothers and sisters and non-binary siblings. That's what we say today. People within the church have been mistakenly led to believe that gay people and transgendered people are sinners and that God hates LGBTQ plus people like us, including me. Antonio admires me. No one should be harboring hate for someone who has done them no harm or for anyone for that matter. The church counters with, no, we love the sinner, but we just hate the sin. Which is just utter nonsense, meaning bullshit. You don't love sinners. None of us do. But what the church doesn't understand is that being gay is not a sin. It never has been. But what the church doesn't understand is that being transgender is not a sin. It never has been. Four Truths That Debunk the Prosperity Gospels Lies by Cole Ryan. December 15, 2015. This is the FTC. Jesus talked about money extensively, having talked about it more than he did heaven and hell combined, according to biblical theology. He devoted nearly 25% of his words in the Gospels to the topic of money, a total of 28 passages. It being one of his favorite subjects, he had a lot to say. And when I did a topical study on what exactly he said, I was shocked by what I'd found. I'd always known the typical offenders were wrong, the Creflo Dollars and the Joel Osteens. But by Jesus' standards, it seems we're all wrong. It seems we've all missed the point. Greed and materialism is much sneaker than, we, than we're led to believe. It's a sin that by its very nature blinds you of itself. It's deceptive, and as a result, the prosperity gospel is far more prominent and subversive than I had originally thought. However, here are what I believe to be four truths that debunk the prosperity gospel's lies. So far, how does what I'm saying and what they're saying make me feel? I feel cheerful right now. I feel gleeful right now, too. Number one, there's only a limited amount of money in the world. About a year ago, I was in a church service and the pastor happened to be talking about money. He was using language like God's economy. He went on to say that you shouldn't feel guilty about your spending because God is big enough. God is big enough to give you an extra bedroom and to feed the hungry children overseas as well. Where the f where did this logic come from? I was about to say... Where the fuck did this logic come from? Logic in quotations. Where the hell did this logic come from? If God is big enough for you to have your mansion to feed the hungry children overseas, why what why hasn't he? They see God as a patriarchal male, patriarchal misogynistic male. Why are they still hungry? Why is it that there are pastors with mansions and hungry children overseas as well? I thought God was big enough. The writer is saying I'm not questioning God's power or size. 
I must admit there are times that I do, and I am unashamed of that. And God would not be offended by that either because it's coming from an innocent place. Um, I, The writer says, the writer's a Christian author. So the writer says, I know God is capable of feeding anyone and everyone, but he's given us the responsibility. He, he He's calling God male, so... I want you to know that that's what he's saying. I'm just reading to you honestly what he wrote. Where his hands and feet, where his body, we can't afford we can't afford to sit around and wait for God to feed the poor. He's not going to. He uses us to do it. We are his economy. So what I'm reading to you makes me feel untroubled, um, gratified and satisfied. I am unperturbed to that's how I'm feeling he's given us limited amount of money and resources enough to feed everyone in the world by the way but it's being hoarded by pastors with mansions waiting for someone else to do it in fact they're waiting for God to do it we must not ignore the fact that there's only a limited amount of currency in the world that the choices we make and the money we spend impact the people around us if God gives me quote unquote the best parking spot that means everyone else is missing out on it. Not everyone can get the best parking spot or the promotion or the house or whatever it may be. Only a few people can because there's only a limited amount of money and resources in the world. If you think about it, if you or I do actually get what we've been praying for, if you or I do get the parking spot or the promotion, that means someone else doesn't. And seeing that there's only a limited amount of resources, um, if you think about it, if you or I do actually get what we've been praying for, if you or I do get the parking spot or the promotion, I mean, someone else doesn't. And seeing that there's only a limited amount of money and resources, we're left with a choice. I get the best parking spot, or they do. I get the promotion or they do i get the this or that or they do but both of us can't have it we have to choose give or take selflessness or selfishness we're given an incredible opportunity to be sacrificial and submissive and christ-like so what they're really talking about is that within American society, even uh, people who are call themselves believers, they um, have a warped sense of abundance. They have a warped sense of surplus, and they're into excess, and. They're into commonness. In that case, that means having way more than needed. Um, here is what the prosperity gospel has done, has eliminated the choice. They've told us that we don't have to choose. We can have both. We can have a mansion. We can feed the hungry children overseas. Because God works in his own economy and he's big enough. 
A lot of church people believe in the lies of scarcity, shortage, dearth, lack, want, undersupply, and insufficiency. Um, scripture doesn't seem to follow this logic. In Acts chapter 2, what we see is a group of people who love one another so much that when one of them was in need, the others would sell what they had to in order to fill that need. That This wasn't easy for them. They did not simply sell something that they never used. They sold nearly everything they had to their name. They sacrificed. We don't do sacrifice anymore. Maybe we'll cut back on a few things that we don't really ever use, but we won't sell a necessity. We need it too much. What we do? What would we do without it? You see the idol worship and the idolatry within that? I say off the top of my head. What we see in Acts is a choice. The members of this group of people had a choice. They could either sell what they had and use the proceeds to help those around them in need, or they could hold on to what they had and neglect their needy siblings. They couldn't have both. That was never an option for them. They had to choose possessions or people. Mm. Televangelism ministries are offended by what I'm saying right now. We all have this choice. We're all making this choice in the countless decisions we make every day. Possessions or people. We can't choose both. A lot of people in the church believe the lies of paucity, scarceness, scantness, meagerness, sparseness, scantiness, deficiency, inadequacy, limitedness, unavailability, absence, exiguity, uh, exiguousness, exiguousness, exiguity, rarity, rareness, infrequency, sparseness, uncommonness, unusualness. And they have warped views of poverty. The state of being scarce from the short supply shortage. They believe in that lie too. They believe in the lie of scarcity, which refers to the basic fact of life that there exists only a finite amount of human and non-human resources which the best technical knowledge is capable of using to produce only limited maximum amounts of each economic good number two prosperity isn't an object it's a character Matthew chapter 5 we read Jesus opened his mouth and taught him saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Did you catch that? Do do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus' idea of blessing is completely contrary to ours. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we have and everything to do with who we are. How did we miss that? Where have we been? It's not our income that renders us blessed. It's our pure, meek heart. We need to have meek-ass hearts is my interpretation. We need to stop the scarcity of compassion. We need to stop the undersupply of empathy.
is what I'm saying. This is the opposite of Western Christianity in America. This is the opposite of Western Christianity, sadly and tragically. In America, what signifies blessing more than a successful business or a large house, Jesus' logic here is foreign to us because the refugee immigrant DACA child, 12-year-old child in the cage, Jesus, is foreign to us. I found that when Jesus spoke of blessing, he wasn't talking about a good harvest or a new stable or some more cattle. He wasn't talking about the physical or tangible at all. He was talking about characteristics and virtues. What we must notice is that you can't purchase any of the blessings Jesus listed. Jesus' idea of blessing is not something that can be bought. No amount of money will buy you a pure heart. Everything Jesus sees as a blessing can only be given to you by Jesus. I think that's worth taking note of. We need to stop the deficiency of neighborliness. And we need to stop the insufficiency of kindness. We need to stop telling people there's an unavailability of gentleness. Mm -hmm. Number three, we're rich. Why should we have more than enough when some don't even have enough? Occasionally... I find myself asking God for more money. I might even spiritualize and ask for quote-unquote provision. Who am I kidding? This is the writer speaking. I'm just reading to you what the writer wrote. Has God not already provided for me? Do I not have a house, a car, food on the table? I have more than 95% of the world. Am I seriously asking God for more? Do I not already have enough? There are millions of people starving today. Millions. How selfish would it be as a Christian to put my well-being before someone else's? Why should I have more than enough when there are human beings who don't even have enough? And here's where off the top of my head. There are human beings who are made to feel like they're not even enough. That they're made to feel like that they are rubbish. Mm. We're rich. We are. After dividing the average American's annual expenditures of 2013 by 365, we spend a little little more than $18 on food every day, roughly $4.39 on clothes every day, and just about $6.80 on entertainment every day. Entertainment every day. But no spiritual growth every day. No personal growth every day, so off the top of my head. Well, one, while, while one billion four hundred million people live off of one dollar twenty five cents every day, that means Americans spend five point forty four times more money on entertainment every day than one billion four hundred million people. One billion four hundred million people make every day. But no intellectual growth every day. No emotional growth every day. No psychological growth every day. Mm. I'm rich by the world standards. I'm incredibly rich. You are too. Why is it that we never ask ourselves questions like, Is this an appropriate amount to be spending on rent, on food, on clothing, on mortgage, on bills? 
I believe it's because we rub shoulders with people who spend about as much money as we do, make about as much money as we do, if not more. We're surrounded by people the same paid grade, the same social class, if not higher. We're frequently exposed to people with more than us and rarely exposed to people with less than us, unless, of course, we live in the city. That means that people need to build relationships with people who are of deferring socioeconomic classes than they are. Even then, we typically do not spend an extended amount of time with people who make far less money than we do. We don't feel rich because we don't know what it feels like to be poor. In America, we don't know what genuine poverty looks like. We're hardly exposed to it. We're barely connected to it. We've only ever been surrounded by extreme wealth and luxury and abundance. We're accustomed to it. Of course, we don't feel rich. We don't know any different. Greed, I've found, is often a geographical issue. Number four, materialism is the opposite of contentment. It seems that no matter how much we acquire, we always want more. It's never enough. There's always something. Something newer, something nicer. It's an endless cycle. We're never satisfied. We're never content. We're slaves. All of us. There are no exceptions. Throughout the narrative of scripture, I've picked up on a theme that seems to imply that possessions aren't really something you try to acquire, rather than something you try to free rather rather there's something you try to free yourself from. This is not the way of America. I don't believe anyone reading this would dare say, I don't have a problem with materialism. I couldn't be more generous. I couldn't live more simply. I've given away everything I could possibly give away. No, that's not the case. We're all in the same boat. We're all living in abundance. We're all slaves. We always want what is not ours. It's intriguing. We think if we could just get that, we'll finally be happy. Learn what we do not have is deceptive. True freedom, however, is found in being content with what we already have. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine being whole, complete, fulfilled, content with what you already have? Sounds too good to be true. Utter satisfaction. That is freedom. That is what everyone is searching for. Where, though, can you find this kind of contentment? If you are a believer, then you've noticed that the more you've come to know Jesus for yourselves, the less you desire material things as a believer. Materialism is what happens when you find your joy in things. Contentment, according to um, faith-based believers, is what happens when they find their joy in Jesus. They're complete opposites. They... You can easily differentiate a materialistic person from a content person. A materialistic person always needs the latest and greatest. They need the newest phone, the nicest shoes. A content person is grateful for what they have. They see no need in spending money on more when they already have enough. Here's the thing. You don't need to earn more money in order to be generous with your money. Some people use that as, some people use that as an excuse to be greedy and stingy and hard-hearted. Jesus seemed to believe that the key to generosity wasn't having more, but being content with what you already have. I am truly loving this article because there is a sparseness of goodness in the world at times. And taking the high road is considered a rarity in our world at times, too. And um, it's amazing that in our society we're of emptiness, shallowness, hollowness, and we're just 
of pseudo-virtues. Let's get back to the Keith Michael article. What is a sin is treating others in a way that you would not want to be treated. That is the most egregious sin of all, and one the church, most of them, is guilty of not just harboring, but preaching and spreading. Um, that's why a lot of church people are never contented. They're never cheery. They're never jovial. They're never exuberant. And sad to say, they're swindlers. They're people who use deception to deprive someone of money or possessions. take no joy in my statements by the way I really don't because this is the world I grew up in was exposed to for quite some time sad to say I hate being proven right about them but it's the truth that has to be told um some things you'd rather just wish you didn't have to say but it's real Selective sins. The biggest problem the church has is that it cherry picks from the Bible which sins in quotation it likes and which sins it thinks are irrelevant. On the one hand, the church preaches that the whole Bible is quote unquote holy inspired, W H O L L Y, by God and all of it must be followed. Then on the other hand, the church then proceeds to ignore much of what God ostensibly wrote even within the Ten Commandments. I personally don't mind picking and choosing from the law of God because first I know God didn't actually assemble the Bible. The early church did all of that on its own and for reasons that had nothing to do with Jesus and the apostles. It's all about divide and conquer in the name of the world domination of commerce, the world domination of law, and the world domination of politics. That's why the Bible says what it says. Second, I know that the ancient priesthood meddled with the law, Torah, with their lying pen, see Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8. Within the extent, early Christian book known as the homilies and recognitions 
assembly written by Clement, we see Peter explaining that Jesus taught that there were false things within the law. This gels perfectly with what we read in Jeremiah chapter 8. But this revelation doesn't settle well with modern Christians who have been taught the lie that the Bible is somehow the word of God in its ever book, word, and letter. So a lot of people in the church are swindlers, fraudsters, frauds, confidence tricksters, confidence men, confidence women, confidence people, cheats, tricksters, rogues, mountebanks, exploiters, pretenders, charlatans, shams, imposters, hoaxers, embezzlers, con men, con women, con people, con artists, bullshit artists, bullshitters, choke artists, Ponzi schemers. Did I say con artists? I did. Embezzlers? Okay, I said that. For emphasis, there's sharks, sharks, hustlers, bilkers, flim flam men, flim flam women, flim flam people, phonies, chisellers, crooks, quacks, bunco, artists. And they're fakes. Then it says the three commandments the church utterly ignores. On its way to declaring gay people and transgender people sinners, the church hypocritically ignores just a few verses earlier how shaving one's beard is also a quote-unquote sin. The church even ignores whole commandments. First, the church totally ignores and does not keep the fourth commandment that says to remember the seventh day Saturday and to keep it as a holy Sabbath. Most churches keep a first day Sunday Sabbath worship day as instituted by the Roman Catholic Church back in the 4th century. Up until this time, Christians, many if not most of them anyway, kept the same seventh day worship day as the Jewish Jesus and Apostles. They also kept the Passover and other Jewish festivals. Second, the church not just blows off but utterly shatters the second commandment which is the prohibition of making images, pictures, and statues of God. The church never met an image, painting, or statue of Jesus didn't like, especially the Caucasian ones. Hmm. The point is, you cannot be worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while praying to a venerating image of Jesus. Third, the church literally worships another God of its own making, namely Jesus. The first commandment states that we are to have no other gods other than the one worshipped by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But no, but no, in the Christian world, a new God named Jesus has supplanted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People pray to Jesus, worship Jesus, sing songs about Jesus with no mention of the name of the God Jesus knew and worshipped. In fact, the vast majority of Christians don't even know the name of God. Most Jewish people do. It's only Christians who don't. If Christians are following the God Jesus worship, why don't they know their name and know God's name is not Jehovah, Yahweh, or the Lord? So you have a lot of people in church who are spiritually blind guides, spiritually blind fools, they're whitewashed tombs, they're brood of vipers, they're hypocrites, they're foxes like Herod, And they conduct themselves as the children of hell. <sighs> they are definitely wolves in sheep's clothing. And they are bad trees bearing bad fruit. 
To get around this issue of the church creating its own God and invented a very strange, mysterious, mishmash belief called the Trinity to somehow reconcile their blowing off of the first commandment. But this quote-unquote Trinity belief has zero support or basis within the Hebraic scriptures. None. You have to really stretch your exegesis scriptural interpretation to even remotely believe in the so-called quote-unquote Trinity and even then... Bible scholars admit that you need to believe in Roman Catholic holy tradition in quotations in order to see the Trinity within its full scope of church understanding. So there you have it. The church utterly blows off three major commandments from their own Bible within the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments itself no less. But then the church has the unmitigated hypocritical gall to say that being in a loving, consensual, same-sex relationship is somehow a sin? Question mark? But then the church has the unmitigated hypocritical gall to say that being in a loving, consensual, transgendered relationship is somehow a sin? That's the part where I say, miss me with the bullshit. Fuck out of here. Oh, but Keith, there are ceremonial and moral laws. We don't have to follow the ceremonial ones. Hogwash bullshit. Torah, the law, makes no distinction between so-called ceremonial versus moral laws. This is another bogus-ass horseshit church invention. An idiotic-ass crock-of-shit mechanism that allows the church to somehow pick and choose which laws they don't want to follow, even within the Ten Commandments themselves. Honestly, until the Christian church pulls its collective head out of the clouds, of its own man-made pagan traditions, it will never truly find God. Honestly, till the Christian church pulls its head out of its ass, of its own man-made ass pagan traditions, it will never truly find God. By the way, bogus is another word for dog shit. Then it says, Jesus and the apostles never had a New Testament Bible. But we in the LGBT queer plus community need to realize that the church is on the wrong side of God and has been for millennia. The quote-unquote gospel the church preaches is not the same quote-unquote gospel as what the historical Jesus and the apostles preach. The church manufactured its own quote-unquote Jesus and its own quote-unquote gospel using its so-called New Testament. But this was a tome. Let's look up what the word tome is. T-O-M-E. A book, especially a larger scholarly book. Instead, but this was a tome that wasn't even around when Jesus and the apostles preached. And instead of all of us in the gay community, transgender community, simply telling evangelicals within the church that they're stupid and moronic, even though there are appropriate times and appropriate places for that. It's time we armed ourselves with real facts, real knowledge, and the real gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the true historical Jesus, not the version of the Roman Catholic Church invented under Constantine. It's time we begin educating not just the church, but ourselves with what Jesus is. It's, it's time we begin educating not just the church, but ourselves with what Jesus and the Twelve Apostles really taught. Um, conclusion I love getting into religious conversations with evangelicals and quotations because honestly they're some of the most underinformed, ill-informed disinformed, misinformed 
not informed at all people when it comes to their own faith. Astonishing how little they really know about their own Bible. They've read it cover to cover 10 times over, but they don't know who wrote its books or even that many of the Bible's books are outright forgeries. In fact, some of them have met, most of them have never read the Bible cover to cover because most of them don't read the Bible at all. The LGBTQ plus community needs to be on the offense with real facts and real history when it comes to it. When it the LGBTQ plus community needs to be on offense with real facts and real history we can use to educate our evangelical friends and family and colleagues. Our Christian friends, family, and loved ones, and even co-workers honestly don't know that they have been lied to by their various churches. The bottom line is that God doesn't hate gay people or transgender people, but what God does hate are liars. People who have co-opted the gospel of simple repentance that Jesus taught and turned it into a pagan mythic religion of human sacrifice that Jesus and the apostles would never have recognized. By the way, church people, animal sacrifice has never truly been holy to God. Think about it. God isn't just destroying the Christian church because Christians have been taught to hate gay people, transgender people. They are a boatload of other reasons as well. Gay people and transgender people are just the most visible signs, but we are just one of the many reasons why. (coughs) I'm sorry. All of the church's bigotry is making me cough. Gay people and transgender people are just the most visible signs, but we're just one of the many reasons why the Holy Spirit of God is moving people out and away from the Christian church. God is reforming the Christian church. However, it's going to take some time, perhaps under 40 years or so, of old people wandering the desert, so to speak. It's a lot like when God brought the children of Israel out of their paganism in Egypt. God made them wander in the desert for 40 years, ostensibly allowing the quote-unquote old people who refused to listen and change time to just, well die the fuck off and to take their unrepentant pagan sins with them. The pagan old God who refused to listen to God will continue to die the hell off. The church will continue to empty until there's no one and nothing left. Then God will have a newly awakened group of Christians who respect who God is without all the bloody pagan human sacrifice and other pagan nonsense our duped ancestors stuffed into their beliefs about God. I'm just so glad that I left an institution that suffers from pretense of virtue, their failure to follow their own expressed principles. Their behavior contradicts what they claim to believe and feel. They're failing to be what they are not or to believe what they do not. So, I also want to say that I'm so thankful that I walked away from hypocrisy 
sanctimoniousness, sanctimony, pietism, piousness, affected piety, affected superiority, false virtues, cats, humbugs, pretenses, posturing, posing, speciousness, empty talk, insincerity, falseness, falsities, deceptiveness, deceit, deceitfulness, deception, dishonesty, dissembling, dissimulation, duplicity, imposture, two-facedness, double-dealing, double-living, double-dipping, phoniness, pharisaism, churchianity, tarchuffery, because I'm a person of honesty and sincerity, my damn self.